we have this amazing ability now with all the technology to reach women in different states, in different countries. We can come together as women around the world and support each other. Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. Learn from the most impactful voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development as we guide you through the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I'm here to support you as you break limiting patterns, embrace your wild, and let go of the noise. It's time for us to rise together. If you know Olive Eats on Instagram, you are going to be so excited for today's show. Olivia Nosita, who has become a new friend of mine, is so amazing. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Oh my goodness, you guys. This woman is so amazing. She does so much great work within the wellness community, and her food pictures are incredible. But it's everything beneath that that I am so obsessed with. She is one of my favorite people to be around. She is so fun and sweet and kind and generous and thoughtful and just a lovely human. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with her and to share all of these topics. We went places I really did not expect, which I know that happens quite often on the show. This was this was different. We started out with sex positions and having options, and sometimes that's a little too much. Uh, we talk about what she does and doesn't like in the bedroom, having fun in the bedroom, her parents' impact on how she views sex, communication, body image, and insecurities, how she stands naked in front of the mirror every day, and why that practice has changed her life. Competition with women. She talks about focusing on herself, that we can't do everything. Literally, we just can't do everything. So that means there's room for all of us. And she does some free writing on triggers that she talks about what it's like to experience emotions for the first time when you have been the pillar of strength for your family your whole life. Ooh, this one resonated with me. Weathering the storm and mental health. I cannot tell you guys how good this episode and this conversation was. I absolutely love Olivia. So make sure if you're not already following this incredible woman on Instagram, head over to olive.eeeats. And before we get into this episode, just a quick reminder, Connor and I are going down to Costa Rica in March of 2020 for the Realness Retreat. It's going to be an incredible week at the Soltara Healing Center with plant medicine, Shipibo healers from Peru, and an opportunity to change your life and take things to a place that you may not even know exists. And this is a huge opportunity to explore and see what else is available to you and shed and let go of some things that just don't serve you anymore. So if you guys want to join us, we only have, I think, 14 spots left. So go to gettherealness.com slash realness dash retreat. You'll get on the phone with us. We'll talk about all the things, healing and plant medicine. We can answer any of your questions. But honestly, if the medicine is calling you and this sounds like something that is meant for you, we should chat. Sex positions. (laughs) Full disclosure, I was like, okay. What are we talking about? And she was like, well, we can talk about this, but not this. And I was like, well, let's start with sex position. (laughs) Why not? You know, here I am. Okay. Not really sex positions. I would love your perspective. How old are you now? I'm a baby. I'm 26. Okay. 26. Mm -hmm. As compared to when you started having sex. Mm -hmm. And the plethora of options that we have available to us now. Versus when we first started, we were like, this is the one way you do it. What does that feel like for you now to know that there is freedom and play and pleasure and experience to be had in sex that I'm guessing when you were a teenager probably wasn't there? I think it's twofold. So the first thing is that it's exciting. And when you have a partner that you trust and that you 
love, it's so fun to be able to explore with that person. But secondly, I would say it's also intimidating. And I've been feeling... It's funny because like in the last few months, I've been having this feeling of insecurity around sex, which has never happened to me before. But it's because we have all of this... I think we have all of this exposure to like different sex positions and all these new things like CBD sex oils and new vibrators and da 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 da. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Mm. Because I'm always doing the most. And then in sex, I'm like, okay, am I, you know, I had like, you know, maybe we do three positions one time we have sex. And I'm like, was that enough? Like, should we have done something new? Should we have done something crazier? Because it seems like, There's so much going on right now. So while it's exciting, it's also extremely intimidating. And I don't know, I think bridging that gap is important and I'm still working on it. I think that is such a great point. I've never talked with anyone about that. So thank you for bringing that up. This idea, and you're in the wellness space like I am, this idea of like, we want to do all the things and we're super extra and we take it like Mm -hmm. zero to a hundred overnight because if we're not trying all the latest trends, there's something wrong with us and we don't belong in wellness. And there is an intimidation factor and there is a comparison game, a not enough. What am I doing wrong? How can I fix this? I'm broken. And it goes down that path, which is why I think so many of us are on this constant cycle of needing to fix or heal things when it's like, what if you just took a step back and let things be? It's really interesting. For sure. And I think like letting it come to you and your partner is so much more important than like the other night I got this CBD oil and I was like, let's use this. It's going to like liven things up. And I put it on my hands and was like, this smells like shit. Like this is not okay. And I started rubbing it on Tyler and he was like, no, 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 <laughs> get it off me. And I was like, ah, and so... I was just like, you know, we tried and that's fun. But like, there's so, like you said, there's so many things out there right now. And sometimes I feel like if I'm not using them or if I'm not using new positions and new products and this vibrator and that, and if I'm not masturbating enough, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, sometimes I'm just tired. Like, I'm just like, I want to go to bed. Like, I don't want to like explore my self-sexuality and masturbate tonight. I want to go to sleep. And then I'm like, oh, I feel bad about that. So like the way that things have changed over the years is crazy to me. Like it's completely flipped. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that too. The other night, Connor and I, we had what he likes to call chill sex. Okay. And sometimes that basically means like, I'm not going to orgasm because (laughs) I take a while, which is totally fine. And I always tell him, I'm very upfront. I say, I love having sex with you. I don't always need to come. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big part for me is I know it takes me a while. And sometimes I don't want to put in that effort either. I'm fucking tired, but I want to get fucked. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's have chill sex. And so the other night we had chill sex and Usually we have lights on during sex because we like to see each other. The lights were all dark. It was pitch black. We couldn't see each other. I think I had a t-shirt on and we were moving slow, so slow. And it was just the most chill sex. And the next day he was like, I felt so connected to you. And we were only in one position. It was so amazing. It was so chill. And like, wow, it was so sexy. And I'm over here like, I have seven vibrators and dildos next to my bed. And I have the candle with the oil that I could pour on you. And I have like satin ribbon that I can tie you up. And he wants to have no lights on. Missionary. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what? But to your point, it's, that is great. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't always have to be this fucking circus act to have pleasure and have fun. It can be slow and simple. And maybe you're not even having orgasms at all, but just that connection and not trying to do something, but to just be present in it. And I think for a while, like that, speaking to that, I mean, I was trying to do the most there for a little while. And I think Tyler was like, oh, like, this is so sweet. This is so nice. He's like, why don't we just kiss? And I was like, oh, I kind of forgot about that. I forgot about the kissing part because I was so focused on like the sexy, like, let's eat weed chocolate and do this and do that. And it was like, exactly to your point, oh, we can connect and just not have these crazy experiences and really just be one with each other and kind of allow it to come to us. Whether that's missionary for 
you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or whether that's tying up. Do you do that candle wax thing? Okay. So I have this candle. I think the company is like Osmia or something. I got it on Goop, whatever. It's super fancy and it's way too expensive. We haven't used it yet, but it's a coconut wax candle and it's supposed to, you're, you're supposed to light it. And then it has a little drip pour thing, like a tea kettle and you're supposed to pour it. We haven't used it yet because I'm like really nervous. I'm also scared. I'm like burn his skin off. So when I was like 12 or 13, we had HBO and you know, like HBO is like a like sex pot when we were kids. And so I watched real sex on HBO one night. I was like by myself and I was like, oh my God, real sex is on. Like I need to see what the fuck is up. And I watched it and these women had candles and they they were pouring wax on their nipples. <gasps> and I was like scarred for life. I was like, that is so fucked up. Like on your nipple, that's so sensitive. And yeah. so that's all I can think about now when somebody talks about the candle wax. I'm like, oh my gosh, is, did you do it on your nipples? I want to know how it feels. I'm going to do it on Connor's nipples and then I'm going to call you and call tell me. you. I'll Immediate. give you a report. Call me while it's happening. I'm going to call you. We're going <laughs> to FaceTime you. Yeah. <laughs> How does it feel, guys? Scale of one to 10. I want to know for sure. Well, you know he will tell you. I know he will. I know. Maybe not in this current relationship, but overall, is there anything you've ever done or tried? And it doesn't have to be like crazy, but something you've done, you'd be like, eh, I'm good. Mm, I'm like very fun in the bedroom. I, I'll try anything. What do I not like? See, and the, Okay, so here's the other thing, right? As I'm thinking about what I don't really like in the bedroom... It's so funny because I feel bad for saying I don't like something. Mm. I'm like, I don't want to not be fun. Like, I don't love anal. You know what I mean? That makes one of us. Anals? Really? (laughs) No way. We do it about 50% of the time. Yeah. And he still to this day is like, I am shocked you like this so much. So like, I don't hate it. I don't love it. But I feel bad for saying I don't love it because I want to be cool girl. We all want to be cool girl. I think that was like in my sex life specifically, something that I had been struggling with since I started having sex was like this idea of of being open to everything, but then almost pretending like I liked everything to make sure my partner was happy, regardless of what partner it was. Now with Tyler, it's very different. We're extremely honest with each other. I mean, it's a very like mature relationship in all aspects. But before that, with any other partner, I was kind of like, oh, let's do this. We would do it. And I'm like, mm, don't love it. Not, not going to convince myself I don't love it. Going to convince myself I like it because I want to be cool girl. I want to be fun in the bedroom and out of the bedroom. I think a lot of women struggle with that. But yeah, so I don't really love anal. Okay, It's not really my thing. Okay, I don't know. At what point... I guess what's the what's the line for you now where you guys are in a mature, honest relationship where you can say, I want to try this. And then afterwards you look at each other and you're like, not so much. Like it's so easy now because we are so open about having conversations, whether regard if it's like um, you know, our sex life or whatever it is, we talk about it at least once a week. And I do feel like, and I'm sure you can speak on this with Connor, but we're connected enough that I think we both really know when something's not working. Mm-hmm. And so usually what will happen is we'll come together, you know, we'll talk on the phone the night before, like, hey, want to try this this weekend? Like, want to go get pizza and then do this in the bed? And then <laughs> have to specify. <laughs> usually it's not after pizza. Like John and Vinny's, I eat way too much pasta to do anything after. I'm like, I feel that. Don't you understand? I yeah. can't have sex. But... Um, we'll talk about it and then we'll do it. And then usually after we'll just like lie with each other and be like, so like, how'd you feel about that? Usually he's the first one to ask. And I'm like, um, and he's like, I could tell it wasn't really our thing. Right. And then we just kind of move on from that. We're like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. But we try to have really open conversations about sex frequently because I think both of us realize that it's a huge part of a relationship, especially in one that, um, that is, hopefully going to be long-term. It's just so important. It's such a big part. Physicality is massive. And I think, you know, my parents didn't coalesce as they as they continued their marriage. They didn't coalesce in their physicality. And so they had a pretty bad sex life, I think. And that really affected their marriage. 
I think it was a really big part of why they were, um, why they ended their marriage. And seeing that and like growing up with that and knowing that because my parents are really honest with me, it's always been something that's kind of in the forefront of my mind. How can I make sex good, sex better, and sex something that both of us are really happy with and feel connected to? Mm. I know that you've talked about body image and insecurities in your body and being comfortable. And I think it was a couple of weeks ago and you posted this picture. I mean, you have a great ass and it was so great. I mean, it looked perfect in this picture, but you were talking about how big of a feat that was for you to be able to post that picture. And I'm over here like, what? Like you have the most banging body, like such a babe, so confident, all the things, which I mean, I'm sure people would say that about beautiful women on Instagram all the time. And we're all running around with insecurities, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, you can only buy it for so long. I'm just wondering how that has played into your sex life with yourself, how you feel about your own body, being with other people, being seen naked, and how that has evolved over time. It's funny you say that because I was really nervous to post that photo, in part because of the reason I explained But secondly, because I did see that photo and I was very proud of my body. And so for a moment, I was like, should I really be posting this? Like, I'm not Ashley Graham. You know what I mean? I don't have these like beautiful, like luxurious roles, but this is my body. And so my insecurities stem from whatever I have. And I do think that no matter what, you know, if you're this perfect picture, perfect model, you're going to have insecurities too. So whatever you know, whatever you want to post and whatever makes sense to you, I'm all about that. I think that over time, my body image has definitely changed. It's evolved. You know, when I was 16, the Kardashians were not a thing and big butts and small waists weren't a thing. I was coming off of like this 90s trend of having a boy body, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone that I went to high school with didn't have a butt. Nobody had curves. It, it just wasn't like this type of body type that we now congratulate. And so I felt very insecure my whole life because I had this big butt and a small waist. I didn't know it was like a quote unquote good thing. Mm-hmm. And I, as time went on, it it took a lot of, I think it took a lot of like self-reflection and so many things for me to become comfortable with myself. But I think like one of the things that I do that has really helped me over time is standing naked in front of the mirror. And I do that now, I mean, five out of the seven days a week. And I do it after I eat too. Like I will have eaten three meals and I stand naked in front of the mirror and I give myself three compliments. But the types of compliments I give myself are not body image compliments. So I've talked about this on my Instagram a little bit before, but I really do believe that like body image and I've I've come to this over time is... I mean, your body is the least interesting thing about you. So, you know, skinny, big, whatever you are, curves, I just don't see it as this factor in rating somebody, if you will. So I think it's so important to kind of realize the parts of yourself that don't have to do with your physical appearance. So for me, what really helped was standing in front of the mirror, and I still do it to this day. And I'm like, girl, you're so funny. Girl, you have such a good personality. Oh, you're so compassionate. The thing you did today was so compassionate. Say those three things and I get in the shower. For me, that's been such a life-changing practice because what it does is that it reminds me that no matter how bloated I'm feeling that day, no matter what my abs look like or my body looks like or my skin looks like when I look in the mirror, there is so much more to me than this physical body that I live in. Because I do think that we are all souls living in physical bodies. And it's so, it makes up so little of who we are. And if we all kind of changed our mindset on that, it would be, I think, a lot easier to go through the days and not feel so insecure about ourselves. You know, and and it's even true too, like in a workout, sometimes I wear a sweatshirt when I feel a little bit insecure about my stomach and I you know, have a sports bra on and I wear a sweatshirt. But I don't know. I stand there and I'm just like, so what? Mm-hmm. Honestly, so what? But you know, as women, it's very difficult. I mean, I, I talk to women every day that have struggled with body image issues. And I think as females, we've just been, we've kind of been inundated with a lot of, a lot of information and 
the wave of positive body image, body positivity now, that was not anything when we were teenagers is like, I think it's the best thing ever. And well, and I feel like too, you are in in a place where you have so much power and being a quote unquote influencer, right? Mm -hmm. I guess everyone is. If you're on Instagram, you have influence because people are looking at your stuff. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. We have bought into the diet culture and the tummy tea and all these things from people that have influence and power over us. And now, like you said, there is such a an influx of body positivity and people that are being like, this is bullshit and we need to change the narrative because this isn't okay. And for me, I just think about all the little girls coming up that are looking at our stuff and what we're teaching them and their eating disorders and suicidal and depression and not good enough. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't imagine having to grow up in that because we didn't have to. So now what are we creating for young women? And it's so interesting to watch it all shift because I feel like probably the same as you, all the women that I'm around have the same perspective. We're like, we're not perfect. We're not trying to be a skinny model. We're being honest about cellulite, acne, rolls, weight, whatever it looks like. And what does it feel like for you to be in that, to have that sort of power when that's your own struggle at the same time? It's really cool, actually. So Tyler asked me this question the other day. He was like, who was your Olive Eats when you were a kid? And I, I told him, I was like, I didn't have one because that wasn't really a thing. And that is my goal. To me, it's so important to share everything I'm going through so that women younger and older than me, because we're all, you know, nothing is linear. So that they have, because I'm so grateful to have this voice and they have this person that they can say, She's struggling too right now. I'm struggling and I don't need to feel bad about it because someone I look up to and someone that many people follow, she's struggling too and that's okay. And so for me, I think it's so important to not only um, give that information out and that education out, but to be in the insecurity and to be in the struggle. Because if I were sitting here on Instagram being like, I was so insecure, but I fixed myself. And I was this, but I'm done with that now. That is not true. And so to make women feel more okay with the fact that they're still struggling with possibly the fact that they've you know overcome one thing, but now they have another thing they need to overcome, I think that's life. And so if I can share that honestly, then exactly as you said, I want my page to be something that younger girls can hop onto and be like, oh, this is how I want to be. Because I think that we have the power as influencers, we have the power to change lives. We have the power to put positivity out into the world. And whether it reaches one person or a thousand people or more, we have that power and that's something to be grateful for. And that's something to take advantage of. No? Yeah. I was uh, interviewing someone a few weeks ago and... She's this meditation teacher, world-renowned, works with everyone and everyone, right? And she's so far on the other side. And I was trying to ask her questions. And I'm like, you, you literally don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, this is so far gone for you. Like, insecurity, anger, rage. Like, you're just so, I don't know, calm and woke. and Woke, like yeah. spiritually woke. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I can't relate to you at all because that's not where I am. Exactly. And so I feel, and people ask me this all the time. They're like, why do you share when you're in like the depths of your healing and, and awakening and, and all of that? Why are you so honest about the insecurities and when you're feeling it? Not when you're on the other side and, oh, I've healed myself. And for me, it's because that's how I relate to people. I can't relate to someone who's on the other side of something. And it was like, don't worry, you'll be here. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but I'm not there. I'm actually in the freaking trenches right now and I can't stop crying and I'm spiraling and I don't know what to do. And for me, it feels like that is the best way to relate and reach people is when you are in it and being honest about it. And it's going to be ugly and messy and it's going to change and evolve. But I think that is the power. And that is where more people are going is 
not being on the other side and then sharing it 10 years later and then teaching on it. And here's the trail. It's like, no, I'm in it now. And here's what I'm doing. Yesterday I was spiraling. Today I'm good. And here's how I got myself out of it. It's totally different. For sure. And I think that you know, what's so amazing to me about Instagram and social media in general is I think it can be used for a tool of community mm-hmm. if we allow it. And my main goal is I do believe, you know, women, and I'm sure you you know this, if anybody knows this, you know this, but women have been circling up and women have been using each other for support since the caveman times, right? Men would go out and do their hunting and women would circle up together and they need that maternal femininity around them. My page and my community and what I hope for so many, I hope others feel this, but I hope others continue to build this too, is a space for women to circle up and support each other. And I think that we have this amazing ability now with all the technology to reach women in different states, in different countries. We can come together as women around the world and support each other. That's crazy. I mean, it's a truly inspiring practice to be able to come together on a comment section of a post and compliment another person. Talk about what you're struggling with so others can read it. And then that taps into the fact that we're now allowing each other to be vulnerable in a very open space. I think that's one of the ways that I've healed so, so much is allowing myself that vulnerability. And I think social media is a really great place for it. But once again, it's if you allow it. Female competition is so prevalent. And there's, of course, social media pushes this idea of not being enough. And she has this and I don't have that. And she's prettier. Her boobs are bigger. The whole rabbit hole. How do you deal with that? And what has your relationship with other women looked like throughout your life? Okay, so I'm not a competitive person. I've never been very competitive, almost to a to like a downfall where if I get on a treadmill and someone starts going faster than me, I'm like, oh fuck it, I'm just gonna walk. Mm. Like I just won't. And that's even that's a, on the other side of the spectrum, right? Competition is very difficult. And I actually have a bit of a hard time with it sometimes. I've always been the type of woman that's been very supportive. My mom is... I always tell my mom, I'm like, I need to copyright you on half of my posts. And if I ever wrote a book, I would need to like, I would need to credit my mom because she is the woman of my life. She is the person that I've learned everything from. And from, from literally the moment I was able to like retain knowledge and information She would tell me, if your friend copies you, that's a compliment. Support your girlfriends. Go out, go shopping with them and get the same things. So I never... I used to have friends that would get pissed if I would buy like the same thing as them or wear the same thing as them. And I literally never understood that, right? Mm. And this is just the beginning of competition. But I never understood that. My mom, like least competitive person on the planet. And so I kind of grew up with this very non-competitive attitude. All women are amazing. Let's just all be free. Like, you know what I mean? And so when when the, you know, social media hit and I start my page, it gets really hard because if you go on the explore page, you start to see all of these girls. And lately I've been like, oh my God, like my hair will never look like that. I will never have an outfit as cute as that. No matter how I try, how hard I try, I'll never be able to put an outfit together that looks like that in my life. And so going through all of these accounts, I have to continually remind myself, I need to support this woman. This woman is different than me. She has a completely different life than me. I do not know what's going on in her life. And I just need to support her. And I need to continue to focus on myself. And that's something my mom told me from day one, focus on yourself. Do not let other people come in to this, to to you and allow you to change who you are. And that's a very difficult, it's almost like um, otherworldly to kind of think that way. And I'm just really lucky because my mom taught me that from the beginning. So I've never really known anything else. But comparison on Instagram is just fucking miserable. 
it's miserable. And I'll even do it too with like food things. I'm like, oh, I should be making that. Like I should be taking better pictures like this. I should be doing this. And I think, you know, there's a, there's healthy competition. There's wanting to be better, wanting to better yourself. And then there's the comparison trap of, I want to be like this person. I don't feel, you know, good enough. And one of my friends just talked about this yesterday and she was like, you know, if you're feeling this way, if you're allowing other people's posts to get to you, you're most likely feeling triggered by something. So where within yourself, how can you heal here inside so that that doesn't trigger you anymore? And I do think it all starts from individual work and learning how to become so masterfully confident in yourself that seeing other people becomes your pride. Oh, this woman, she's doing so great. Look at her with her like Louis Vuitton bag in Paris doing awesome things. That's not my life right now. I'm in LA and like I'm working really hard and I can't be in Paris today, but that's amazing for her. Next, how do we get to that place? And how do we get to the point, and this has been my struggle, is that someone else doesn't take away from me. So she's pretty. Why does that make me less than? She has this. Why does that mean I'm not good enough? Like, I mean, down to her, she has great boobs. And so that means my boobs are gross now. That's how my head works. Like, how do we get to that point where we're not in this space of believing that because she is this, I am not? Mm. I love that. I, I don't know where that comes from. It's frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating as hell. Because I'll look at people and I'll see something that they have, whether it's an outfit or a you know body part or whatever. And I'm like, mine will never look like that. So instead of saying, mine will never look like that, I am less than, why don't we say, mine will never look at that. This is mine. Mm-hmm. This is what I have. This is what I have to give. But it's really interesting. And I think about this all the time. I listen to Dak Shepard, oh, armchair expert. Freaking best. I love him. Celebrity crush for sure. Um, But he was talking about how back in time, from an anthropologist standpoint, there were little communities. All communities were very small. And so the thing was, is that maybe you have a community of 20 people. And the way that it worked was one person was good at everything. One person is going to be a really good singer. Hey, this is just like me, but <laughs> one person's going to be a really good singer. Another girl's going to be the model of the group. Another girl's going to be the fashionista of the group. But no one has the same, no one's vying to be everything and do everything, mm-hmm. right? You know where your strengths lie. You're proud of those. You have everyone else in your community who's doing other things. I think this goes back to the, the conversation we just had about doing the most in sex. On social media, we see it all. You go on your explore page, click on one picture and start scrolling. Here's a girl in Greece. Here's a girl who's skinny. Here's a girl who's doing this and this and that. And now we've just gone through a hundred pictures of a hundred different things that we might not have within us. And so we're seeing all of this and we feel like we need to what? Replicate it. We need to feel bad about not having that. And so that's, what I have to remind myself of is I am this one person and my community, especially by being on social media, is so large. How can I be and do everything? That's not fair to myself to tell myself those things. So my boobs and my butt and my curves and my hair and my voice, all of those things are specific to me. How do I learn to fall in love with those things and then allow those to flourish and be proud of them. And I think it's the it's the loving of thyself that allows you to support other women and not be affected as easily mm-hmm. when you look online. Yeah. All right, since Olivia and I are talking so much about sex and sexuality and pleasure and asking for what we want and doing all the things I wanted to share with you guys, my favorite company that makes the best sex toys. Plus One does such an amazing job of creating products that are very clean. Everything they make is non-toxic and BPA-free and has no latex, which is actually really important to me because I'm allergic to latex. That was fun to figure out one day a couple of years ago. 
Um, <laughs> but they make this incredible new product called the Air Pulsing Arouser. It is specifically made for your clit and it takes orgasm and pleasures to a different town. Let's go to Pleasure Town. That's where Plus One is taking us. Connor and I use this regularly. I use it on myself. He uses it on me. It's not for men's pleasure, but you can get pleasure out of watching your partner be in pleasure, right? So yes, it is for men. If you're a guy listening to this, buy this for your lady. And if you're a chick, buy this for yourself. It is next level. It's so good. I believe that pleasure is for everyone and so does Plus One. And they're making it available to the masses. Their price points are incredible. And I just really believe in this company and what they're doing and their willingness to help us and support us explore our sexuality. So you can go to myplusone.com or better yet, you can just go to Walmart and get it there. Check them out, guys. This is the best. When you talk about the self-work and triggers, it's a huge one. and Something I've been teaching on lately is every time you're triggered, ask yourself why. Like, why does that bother you? Because at the end of the day, it really has nothing to do with that person. There's something missing within you. Mm-hmm. How do you develop those skills and strategies for when you're triggered and you notice that uncomfortable feeling and you have to turn within? It's a practice that I'm still working on. Um, Well, I will say, first and foremost, it's just the self-awareness that's first. And I actually read a thing yesterday that said that just because you have self-awareness doesn't mean you're healed, right? It's the first step. So like you said, when you know, okay, this is not, this is not like healthy. How do I turn inward? The first thing is phone off phone off, airplane mode, do not go on it. And I give myself 90 minutes and I won't do it because I think that so much of insecurity stems from social media and so much of it stems from our outside world. So to put yourself within yourself is being alone and it's being truly by yourself. So that's the first thing, social media off, phone off. Um, And then really it's taking out a notebook and just free writing. Um, I did a free writing exercise a few months ago and was so weirded out. I don't know if you've done, I'm sure you've done it a million Mm -hmm. times, but like I was so weirded out when I looked down and was like, oh shit, what am I, like, where am I in my life right now? Look at all of these things I just wrote that I haven't allowed myself to, I haven't allowed those things to come to the surface, but in a five minute free write, where I don't have any rules and I don't have my mind trying to fuck me up. Look at all of the things that just came out. So phone off, three to five minute free write, read it over and then, and this is hard, and then meditate. And like, this is literally like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a monk. When I, when I talk <laughs> about this, I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? But my meditation isn't perfect. I will, and and I, the practice of meditation to me, I mean, I could talk about it for hours, but um, I started meditating through um, a monk, Pema Chodron. I don't know if you know her, but she's no. amazing and she's life-changing. But what she talks about is that meditation is not perfect. So that's the first thing that people need to know, especially after you're having an issue and then you write all of your triggers down and then you read all of your triggers. How are you supposed to quiet your mind? You're actually not supposed to quiet your mind. The, the whole practice of meditation is, is the idea that all of those things are coming up and you're letting them go. So I think what so many people think when I talk about meditating is that like I sit down and for 10 minutes, I am free and I am just like this bird and there's, there's air flying through my brain and I don't know anything. And literally what's happening in my brain is you know, whatever it is that day. You're ugly. You're da-da-da-da-da. You're da-da-da-da. And then I'm sitting there in silence and I'm feeling all of those triggers popping into my brain. And through meditation, what I have to do is say, thank you, thought, for being here. I'm going to let you go now. And you know what? Sometimes that's my entire meditation. Sometimes I don't get more than a millisecond of silence. But to me, it's that is the working through. And so that three-step process is something that I think is so valuable. 
And sometimes it's easier than other times. But once you start getting used to it and once you start doing it, it's this amazing culmination of the practice you've built up where you start free riding, you start meditating, and then slowly you get two milliseconds of silence. And then you get three milliseconds of silence. And then you start realizing, oh, these things that are coming into my mind, I'm making them so much bigger than they are. These are so... My mind is allowing me to create catastrophe out of very simple things. And so to me, that's that's partly, you know, that's how I deal with it. Mm. But otherwise it's like working out, going to the gym, getting angry. Yep. That's a thing too that I think a lot and a lot of people know about me. Oh yeah. You know, like I'll get on a treadmill, I'll scream fuck. I get angry and I like to get angry. And I think so many people, they don't realize, you know, I'm so calm and meditative and lovely on my Instagram, but I also have to feel. And so sometimes that means going and getting on a treadmill and being pissed. Sometimes that means like screaming, crying. And that's okay too, to let those emotions out. Mm -hmm. Have you always been able to tap into your emotions and express them? Yes and no. Like I've always been a very emotional person, but always no. I... I have felt inwardly my whole life very deeply. I've always been a very deep feeler. But my high school English teacher, when I was junior year of high school, my parents were about to get a divorce and I could tell things were going wrong. And it was really roughing me up inside because I didn't like to cry in front of my parents. Um, I still don't cry in front of my parents, which is crazy because I'm always fucking crying. But I don't really know what that deal is. I need to figure that out in therapy. Um, my mom's a huge crier. My dad also cries. And so for me, crying was something that was super negative my whole life. I never really understood it. I didn't understand why my mom was always crying. And I think it had a lot to do with mental health. But when I was in my junior year, I confided in my uh, English teacher and she told me, you're going to sponge out one day. She's like, one day you are like building up so much water in yourself and someone's going to squeeze it one day and you are going to collapse like a sponge and all that water is going to come out. She's like, I'm preparing you now. You might want to start, you know, feeling this. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine, Miss Pagani. I'm great. Don't worry about it. And then like I told Connor, it was my freshman or I don't even know, sophomore year of college when I had sex and felt violated, vulnerable, confused, and I couldn't hold on anymore. And that's when everything left, everything flew out of my sponge, and I just hit just extreme depression. From that point on, there was nothing I could do but cry. And so that's when my emotions really took a hold of me, and I began to feel deeply By going to therapy and by talking to my mom and my dad were really, I couldn't say enough good things about them and their supportiveness. I was able to balance out those emotions and understand that feeling deep is an okay thing. But that didn't happen until I was like 20. There's a lot there. (laughs) Um, Unpack me. Yeah. Well, it's just... I love hearing people's journeys with emotion, especially as you lift the veil and the layer of each one, because, you know, Connor and I have been talking about this a lot, is this suppression of anger and rage. And once you get to that, then it's like waterworks because there's so much sadness behind it. And we're not taught that it's okay to feel, especially things like anger and rage, especially as women. Mm-mm. And it's like, oh, it's socially acceptable to cry, but God forbid you scream or yell fuck on a treadmill as you're processing things. So when you got to that point in that situation where you felt like you were being taken advantage of, and then all of a sudden it was this experience of emotion. I'm not sure if you remember that because I I understand situations like that can become like kind of a blur and almost like you black out. But after that, what did it feel like to experience all those things that had been pushed down? It felt liberating and fucking terrible at the same time. And that's the honest truth. I was so scared. And I think that a lot of us, when we first start to kind of come into this deep feeling mode, 
we get really scared. We're like, what is happening to my body and my mind? Why am I feeling this way? Why can't I stop crying? Why can't I stop screaming? But at the same time, when I would go to bed at night, I was like, I feel 20 pounds lighter than I have my entire life. So clearly something is good about this. But I think it's, you know, it's a scary, scary moment in your life when you when you come to this precipice of I'm gonna need to feel everything because right now my bag, my sponge, it, it's holding too much water. It's holding too much shit. It needs to, you know, we need to sponge out. And so it's a very scary feeling. And I think back to it sometimes too, because I like I said, I don't think everything's linear. So like I went through a second wave of that at 24. And I'm sure I'll go through another wave of that and then another and another. And every time it's different and every time it's scarier. But as as the um, amount increases, you learn that you will weather the storm. And I think that's so important for people to know is that you really do have to... It's kind of like when it rains really hard, if you've ever been to like Texas and you're in this like really freak storm of like, Hail, rain, thunder, heat. You kind of just have to... My ex-boyfriend and I, we like chased this storm one time and we like we went outside and the storm was there and I was just like opening my arms and feeling it. And I was like, metaphorically, that's what you have to do is you have to let all that shit come to you so you can slowly learn how to understand that it's going to go away. So if you let it really just like encapsulate you, the next day or two days later or three days later, the clouds are going to part. The sky will be blue again. But why like, why sit inside when that storm is raging? Why not experience it? And why not allow yourself to come to it? So for me, that's like really what it's kind of felt like. You mentioned your mom and how much she cried and you felt like that was connected to mental health. I don't want to push any boundaries with you. I don't know how far you want to get into that, but I'm just curious. I've always been someone that's been prone to depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts most of my life. And so I'll go in and out of waves of that and it's it's tumultuous and it's a lot. And so often people that experience that with their parents, they often experience it themselves. Is that a pattern for you that you think there's a connection to. And then also maybe that's why you're not crying with them because you're like, I don't want to reflect this back because that's the behavior I saw. Okay, well, so that's literally it. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, so my mom, as wonderful as she is, has definitely suffered mental health issues. So has my brother. So has my father. So have all of my aunts and uncles. Mm. So when I was... 16, 17, I'm like, ah, the gene skipped me. I'm good. Like, I'm the only person in my family that's unmedicated. Here we go. I am, you know, I am this being. And it's exactly because of what you said. I think I was really, really scared to take any of that on. And so crying in front of my parents or feeling with them emotionally makes me feel maybe less than. In, in like the mental health perspective. And it's really, you know, it's weird to grow up. I watched a lot of my friends grow up with parents that honestly, most likely had their issues of their own, but we're always happy and they do football on Sundays. And when they watch a movie, it can be a comedy, but we always watched dramas and, you know, everyone was always crying at my house and there was always so much going on. I didn't want that anymore. Like I wanted to get out of that sad space and like be in be in like this easy household. My household was anything but easy. And I think because of that, it, you know, that's why I am who I am today and I'm so grateful for it now. But I wanted that ease when I was a kid. I didn't want everybody to be crying all the time. I didn't want, you know, my brother God bless his soul. My brother had such a rough time when my parents got a divorce. And I was just like, why can't you be normal? Why can't you just be fine with it? I'm being fine with it. I'm acting fine. Let's all act fine. I'm not crying. You don't need to cry if I'm not crying. And so I always saw myself as this like pillar of strength for my family. 
where I was like, well, if everybody else is crying around me, I'm going to stay stoic so that they feel like maybe what they're doing is not right. And everyone can kind of like cling on to my energy. And the thing is, is that anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, all of those things are very genetically predisposed. Um, and so when I finally got to this place where I was you know, letting go after I'd moved away from home, I needed to fully be away from my parents and cut that umbilical cord. The anxiety raged, the depression raged. I've never had suicidal thoughts and that's not really something I think either of my parents have dealt with, but I absolutely deal with generalized anxiety. I absolutely deal with um, bouts of depression. And it's just a thing that I've known my whole life and never really accepted. And now that I'm coming into it, I think it's so much easier to deal with, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I love that like you and so many other people talk about this now in the wellness space, but it's like this normalization of mental health and normalization of depression and anxiety. And I really try to put that out there too. And I've seen it's so crazy because I'll, you know, jump on my story one day and be like, I'm having really bad anxiety today. I just wanted to say for anybody else out there, 40 messages come in. I'm feeling anxious too. I'm, And it's such a normal thing to feel anxious. And then to have extreme anxiety is a whole other level, you know? And yeah, it's just, um, it's been something that it, it's newer for me. It's newer because I never really accepted it when I was a kid. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's not easy. When you talk about dealing with anxiety and depression, part of that is the opportunity to work through the emotions that have been suppressed and the anger and the sadness and situations, especially as children, we have no control over and that we're put in. You know, we can control a lot of situations we're in as adults, but when you're a kid, you're you're just in it. And I think that not that this cures depression or anxiety. And I don't want anyone who takes medication to feel like I am saying that's wrong. I I don't believe that at all. I think that everyone needs to do what's best for them in every way. I am not anti-medication when it comes to mental health at all. But I think that there are so many tools and resources that are valuable when you're able to tap into the emotion to better understand yourself, not to fix yourself because you're not broken, but to understand where is this sadness from? What causes this? And even if it's my family has experienced this, so this is a part of my life, I think we're not taught to look at our environment and what's around us. It's always, you're wrong, you're broken, you fucked up. And it's like, well, what about all the people around me? What about the things I learned? What about the anger and the sadness that I'm feeling that is Those are all aspects of this. And I think that is why someone like you is where you are. And I would, you know what? I'm going to take credit for this too. That's why I am where I am. Is like, Mm -hmm. we have looked at our stuff and our environment and been very honest about it so that we can be in a place where it's not always perfect and rainbows and butterflies, but we have tools to navigate it in a different way. For sure. And like, I will say, because I grew up with a father who's a physician and a mom who's a nurse, So Eastern medicine and Eastern practices were never really a thing in my life until I came into it myself. You know, my mom converted to Buddhism when I was much older and she slowly became into those practices, yet she still takes Tylenol like every other day. (laughs) So, you know, um, but medication, because I do want to speak on this for a second, as a quote unquote, like holistic, I'm, I'm a bit more holistic, I would say, in my practices, I believe in medication. I believe in the mixture of Eastern and Western medicine if you need it. I think so many people and so many of my friends have tried so hard to battle whatever demons they have without medication and it doesn't get better. And they're doing all the other work. They're doing all the looking inwards and everything, but they still have brain chemistry that is not you know, it's not viable to live a healthy life. So I really do believe that there's can be a very nice mixture of both. But to your point, you know, it took a lot for me to be like, I'm going to stop saying fuck yoga and I'm going to go to yoga. I'm going to stop saying screw this and I'm going to do this, meditating. I'm going to stop saying don't cry and I'm going to cry, right? 
And so I think that there's, or going to therapy even, you know? And so there's so many things that we can do that are free or, you know, cheaper that are a bit more holistic and um, a bit more like self-healing. So looking inwards and doing those things and, you know, whether it's not yoga, it's orange theory, whether whatever your thing is, it's it's important to have that have that backing too. So yeah, I think that like part of exactly like the way that I am comes from, you know, I'm not on medication now, but there have been times where I've had to go on medication and that's okay. And I'm not going to feel ashamed for it. Mm-hmm. And I also did all the other work and I'm continuing to do all the other work. And as time went on, because I was so involved in the other work, I was able to release that medication. And I'm really happy about that. But that was something that came through so much practice. And it's honoring, you mentioned this earlier, it's, it comes in waves. It's honoring where you are. Things are not always going to be the same. That's life and things evolve and change and grow. Or sometimes they're just stagnant. And it's okay to allow for that to happen and to be in what sometimes feels like chapters of life. Like in this chapter, I'm feeling down and I'm doing my best, but things just aren't clicking or working and I'm going to be with that. And that's okay. And I know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even on days when I don't feel that. I would love for you to, and this is something that I've been exploring more, is leaning in and really getting into the stuff that we have pushed off. So you were mentioning like meditation and yoga and all of that. And for me, it was journaling for so long and my sexuality and the way I either feared something or judged it. And I joked on a show I did a couple of weeks ago and I told everyone, like, I am Phoebe from Friends now. Like I judged Phoebe. She was so woo-woo. She would like, her grandmother was living in her cat. It was like this whole thing. And I was like, she's fucking weird. That's so odd. I don't understand that. And now like I talk just like Phoebe and it's the whole mm-hmm. thing. I'm leaning into all the stuff that I judged, misunderstood, or was scared of for so long because that's part of who I am and in my healing journey. How do you deal with that? Oh my God. Well, I will say that like, um, like I explained, you know, my dad's a doctor and my dad is like the most non-woo-woo person on the planet. And family events are really difficult for me. So I'll kind of speak to it in that context. Um, I leave almost every family event crying because most people, of my family doesn't, they support me. They don't really understand kind of where I'm at in my life. And my mom's had to deal with this forever because my mom is, I'm a spitting image of her as I get older every day. And she's very woo-woo too. And it's hard having to deal with this like judgment, I guess. But it's not even judgment of other people. It's that self-judgment, right? And so I'll go to... A family event, and I'll be sitting there and talking to people about, you know, my new food practices and my meditation and whatever else the fuck I'm doing that's insane to them. And I really have to sit there and be so confident in where I am at to not let other people's ideas of what I should be doing affect me. And that's been the biggest thing is finding that self acceptance. Because for so long, I wanted to be the person that like, I have really good friends. We have a mutual friend, like very into sports, right? And I was his, we were best friends. And I always be like, yeah, fuck this, fuck that. And, you know, football and whatever. And now I'm like yogi and I do my thing. And so when I get together with those friends, it's like, how do I be the version of myself that I am and be proud of that person and not immediately revert back to the person I felt like I needed to be five years ago. And that comes with self-acceptance. That comes with me being like the, you know, the yogi and the meditator and the whoever I am, that is me right now. That is me in this chapter of life. And like you said, that is a part of this healing process. And so I need to accept that and be proud of that when I'm with other people. And be proud of that when I come onto a podcast or when I talk to others. Because to judge myself will be the death of me. To not be my own biggest fan, to not have the self-acceptance that I need to have for myself, 
will crush me so much faster than other people thinking that way about me. Because really in the end, you are all you have. And my mom tells me this every day. At the end of the day, you, this body, this soul, this is what you are working for, not anybody else. And the funny thing is, is that what we don't realize is nobody really gives a shit about what we're doing as much as we do. And so to have that acceptance and to have that non-judgment and to have that non-attachment to what we're doing at this point in our lives right now allows us to be so much more free in expressing that person to everyone and anyone, including ourselves. So that's really how I feel about it. Boom. Bam. Slam. Slam dunk. I'm ending with that. (laughs) That was perfection. Woo. Thank you. Thank you. I love everything you are and I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you. This was such an honor. Truly. 